This is your speaker person, Veronica Tyler Christie, sometimes V. I had an amazing time with Dan Botto, owner of the Arcutiki, which is a live music venue that heavily supports local acts and attracts musicians from further distances. He also runs the SLG Publishing Company, company for mostly comics. Uh, some comics you may know, such as Johnny, uh, which is, have the same creators as Invaders Zone. The interview itself, uh, as we get started, does have a little bit of a rocky start, but then it's smooth sailing from here on after. So enjoy the listen. Italian household, you know, you had exposed to one kind of music that as my uh, my parents became more, you know, Americanized, turned into them listening to a different kind of music, but that still had its kind of roots in that, you know, Italian culture and, and then, you know, developing them my own musical taste. Okay. Uh, and then what kind of music did you listen to? Like, what was, like, the primary genre? Like, when I was growing up, I listened to a lot of funk. I listened to a lot of, like, soul. So what was your... Well, I listened to a lot of music <clears throat> that would be... Uh, I mean, for, at an early age, it would be... I guess you would consider it to be sort of Italian folk music. Um, although that's maybe not the most apt description of it, but it was songs that, you know, trace their origins back hundreds of years that are just sung over and over again, love songs, mostly, you know, songs about whatever, <clears throat> you know, things like that. Those are things that my, my parents listened to. Mm -hmm. um, from that, you would look at it and say, well, I listen to kind of pop music, but now we would look at it in a different way because, you know, again, the influence of what was being played around me before I had choices, before I realized I could have my own choices, uh, you know, things like Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, you know, big band stuff, things that kind of, uh, you know, when you mention them now, they have sort of a, a different, they, they evoke different sort of reactions from people than when you mention when you think about it, you know, I'm an old man. So, you know, 50 years, 55 years ago or so. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and uh, in that era right there, it's just like, you know, big band music was really there are multiple radio stations playing lots of big band and mm -hmm. and um, and stuff like that, and it's not unusual to see bands run through town and play in small venues and mm -hmm. around town and, and stuff. But you could be very uh, exposed to, um, you know, I mean, music that you might classify as kind of exotica or whatever or mm -hmm. lounge or it didn't really have that kind of classification back then. It was just what was kind of popular mm -hmm. at the time and and um now it has sort of it has still has its appeal but its appeal is for a great deal of it is nostalgic you okay know? It, or for people now you know um who maybe can't appreciate it as being the popular music of the time right from then it was like you know go in you're going to school or i'm going to school and you're hearing what other people are listening to and you're listening i'm listening to the beatles i'm listening to you know whatever because, you know, I mean, I'm hearing, basically, not necessarily listening to it. But mm -hmm. first albums and records, I remember, you know, asking my mom to help me buy were Beatles records. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, they kind of moved on. And their whole, you know, having lived through the British invasion, sort of, uh, as a small child. 
Mm-hmm. Um, seen this stuff like on Ed Sullivan and whatever. Um, it was, you know, kind of like it was a very eclectic kind mm-hmm. of type of stuff that I would listen to, you know, by choice as, as I was growing up and becoming a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of continues on today and uh, and sort of informs the way I book the venue, which is like there's no one style of music that the venue sort of built for, right? you know, or that we that we book. Uh, you, you come in here and you might hear Americana one night and jazz. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in a big band. It's yeah. ironic, or not ironic, I don't think that's the right word, but it's interesting that, that we're kind of like the home to mm-hmm. big bands in the Santa Clara Valley because we have three different big bands that have come here and play in the last year. Yeah. And they be, um, I mean, I feel like Seventh Street is regular when mm-hmm. we come through, which is the big band that I'm in. Yeah. Um. So do you feel like those other big bands are feel like that this is kind of like their home base too? Like they come through regularly? I think yeah. It's like not a lot of people want to take in a big band, you know, as a traditional venue type of thing where it's like we're gonna hope our business is dependent on people coming to see you. Right. You know, whereas or otherwise, you know, we you find halls or places or theaters that will rent out, but. You know, we're, we're coming in and providing, um, you know, we're providing a lot of support in regards to the quality of the sound, mics, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> just the, uh, the the atmosphere of the room. And it feels like, mm-hmm. you know, a showroom once we took the, take the lights down and yeah. you get, you know, 12 horns going and stuff like that. And it just <laughs> sounds kind of cool. Yeah, it sounds cool. It feels comfortable. Yeah. Um, for anybody who hasn't been through to our boutique yet, like you guys ever walk through the main um, just stage area, you'll see like couches and like small tables and, um, you know, everything feels really intimate and like really not really super close to home, but like everyone feels like really close together because of like how um, just the setup is in general um and also you're right next to the stage there's not like any awkward like space between you and the performer so there's a little bit of interaction that can be taken advantage of as well um so dan are you um i mean aside from your appreciation of of music are you also a musician yourself do you play any instruments no oh no i i took piano (laughs) when i was growing up but i didn't stick with it um you know i imagine i it's funny because we have a piano here, two of them actually, in the venue, and I've sort of made it my, you know, mission is to, to learn how to play one of those damn things. Because <laughs> we spend enough money on pianos, it's like, I, it's the only thing I own that I really can't use it all myself. You You're know? surrounded by all these musicians. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, uh, for a brief period, I... We can give you tips I, here and there. I, sure. Uh, I was... Uh, uh, for a brief period, I, I sang with, um, my kids had a band, like kind of a coverage band, mm-hmm. as they were learning how to play. Mm-hmm. I was sort of their front man for like, you know, half a year until they got tired of that. It's like, no, we're real musicians. You're, you're out of the band. Sorry. <laughs> Shit, I got kicked out of the band by my kids. Was this both Dylan and Dustin? Yeah. Uh, for just as a heads up, Dylan is a really great uh, percussionist. Um, he mostly does vibraphone, um, but I'm not sure what Dustin actually plays. Uh, so Dustin, uh, I mean, his I, if he had a primary instrument right now, I'd say it would be bass. Okay. He probably spent most of his time uh, as he was learning, growing up, uh, playing guitar, but mm-hmm. bass player. But I've seen him slide behind the drums and play the piano and and like you know he's very familiar with with you know most of the instruments that we have here but i 
I would scarcely call him a drummer or a piano player. I mean, he could get up there and he'll go up there during our, our open mics or whatever and, and just kind of like keep time for people. And and, um, and I, I wouldn't really, I mean, he'll tinkle around on the piano to make some noise for somebody, but he's not mm-hmm. a piano player. But he's a pretty good bass player. Um, he's got a definitely feel for the groove, so mm-hmm. uh, I... Uh, I don't really see him play that that much anymore. Currently, he's actually been writing and doing a lot of his own uh, musical electronic music. Right. Uh, we did a, a a show here for the it was a like a kickoff party for mm-hmm. this uh, label that uh, called Purple. Uh, no, I know I'm forgetting, but at any rate, <clears throat> and, and they had a bunch of people doing electronic stuff, and he mm-hmm. was he was by far the most inventive and entertaining and uh, interesting of the bunch yeah Yeah. oh that's awesome so I'm hoping that he'll uh, come in and do something else here at some point that's his own because I think he's really talented in that in that area he understands the technology Mm -hmm. and he certainly understands the music and he has the ability to control all of it Mm -hmm. you know he's and he's become a really great uh, video uh, artist as well oh cool some videos he hasn't posted really any of them anywhere Um, but uh yeah, no, he's he's probably, uh, and we make a big deal about Dylan and his talent level because you know people are dragging him around. Mm-hmm. He's first call drummer for a lot of people and mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But Dustin is equally talented in the pursuits that he's that he goes after. You know, okay. and uh, they both uh, they're both incredibly talented guys. I'm fortunate to have kids like that who can advise me when I'm you know. Mm-hmm asking about you know when I, I run into something I can't figure out on my own it's those one of the two guys are, that will be able to help me out so yeah so because you didn't uh, from what I'm getting at like you didn't really play a lot of music uh, but you were most, mostly like an like a very engaged listener um, how did you how did you get your son? Very engaged listener. I love that. I'm gonna make myself a T-shirt. That's Please. Very engaged listener. Please, no, no, no. I don't want to say ears. like. Yeah. <laughs> the ears on the thing. That's uh, that's my thing. Oh, I want to say that because you have all these like really awesome bands that come through here. Yeah. So, um, like some articles say sophisticated listener. I'm like, no, I'm just gonna say engaged listener because yeah. like you're listening. You're like, okay, this is someone that I want at my venue. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you have a good ear. Every time if I come here, that wasn't a Seventh Street show. I've always been impressed by the well, talent yeah, that come through. Coming up, down, up to say Never mind. No, I've come through I here a couple s- times. No, no, I was going to say you haven't come to the shows that that where people maybe haven't been as good. But oh no, that's <clears throat> no, that's fine. You can call me out on that. Yeah. So uh, it, it's it's weird. I mean, I don't mean I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but mm-hmm. because there are people who samples are perfectly great, and then they get up on stage and will very, very quickly discover there's a difference between playing in your garage and playing on the stage. and mm-hmm. You're not going to get to stop and start over again, and you have to power through. and It takes a lot, mm-hmm. you know? And, I, I mean, I've seen people who are coming through here touring, mm-hmm. right? Who maybe, like, they have a venue in their hometown that they were comfortable with, and they went ahead and booked a bunch of shows mm-hmm. and realized that, oh, crap, mm-hmm. this isn't like playing at home. You know, mm-hmm. it's a whole different mental thing, and I've seen the wheels fly off of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, just mid-show, and and you know everybody powers through and mm-hmm. does their best. But only once have I ever seen a band. Uh, they, I can't really. I'm only guessing, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. but I don't think they'd ever played with monitors before. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the singer realized he wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. And so during the sound check or something like that, he just when they when they were starting their set, the singer refused to sing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "No, I'm not doing this." And then he, he kind of like halfway half-assed his way through a song and then just said, that, "That's it. We're done." Mm-hmm. 10 minutes in, they were done. Wow. And they and it's like the rest of their band was kind of like, "Well, what do we do now?" It's like, uh, "Go home." Wow, that's scary. Yeah. I think that's my worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yeah. We I mean, we I've seen it. I can't say I've seen it all because I haven't really done it. I mean, this is our 10th year of doing mm-hmm. live music. So I've seen a lot of stuff. At some point, I'll be able to say, ah, I've seen it all. But then, you know, we'll see something else. I go, well, is now at the time I can say I've seen it all? I don't think so. So what, there's always going to be something else that pops up that will be like, wow. What would your advice be for um, artists who haven't had a lot of like live experience um, I mean, it's not your job to be like an educator in the situation because you're a professional. I, I um, take that role though. I don't mind doing yeah. that. Okay, that's okay. I mean, it's like if people want it, if somebody want, like the first thing to do, go to shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't believe how many people come in here. The first time they've ever been here is the show they're playing. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, oh, do you have a sound man? It's like, do you have your own PA? Do you have? Have you ever been in here? I mean, okay, if you're if you're on tour, <laughs> if you live in San Francisco mm-hmm. or whatever, I don't expect it. But if you're a, an area musician, mm-hmm. go into the venues that you're thinking of playing at. Make mm-hmm. sure they're appropriate for you from the first place. Mm-hmm. Look around. Don't just walk in. You know, I look around, ask questions. Nobody at Art Boutique is going to ever put someone off that wants to learn something. Like if you come, it happens. You know, every once in a while, someone says, "I got a band. We'd like to play here." And they're really focused on how to get a gig mm-hmm. rather than like, you know, what do you like? What's the setup? What do we need to bring? Asking mm-hmm. those kinds of questions, mm-hmm. you know, ask questions, become familiar with a, what a venue does. Not all of them do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Not all of them are going to be are going to take the same approach. Um, okay. you know, not all of them. All of them are created equal. So you have to figure out where do I want to play? Mm-hmm. How you know what? what's the commonality there you know mm-hmm. if if look up the genre of, of the shows that are of the genre that you play in and then come to some of those shows mm-hmm. you know and like a lot of it is just kind of like you know when someone comes in and and you know, doesn't understand what the basics of a sound check are mm-hmm. I mean, it's like we're here to check your sound Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it's like if you're goofing around or you're late or, you know, you, you're you not quite sure what it is, what we're doing. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just it's different than playing in your garage or, or playing even at like at school or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, because we're dependent on you a to be up there and put on a good show so that we can add, you know, when we bring, try to bring people into the place that they're going to see something good. If you're, you know, if you're a performer you playing on a bill with other performers you want to live up to your end of the bill mm-hmm. you know to make sure that you're uh that you're performing at that level i mean not everybody's going to be you know as good as the next person but you mm-hmm. have to work as hard as the next person right. and you have to go when you go up and do your 30 minutes mm-hmm. make it sure you have a good 30 minutes mm-hmm. you know so and that you can play it through and and that you know that you're on time for sound checks and that 
you've read the emails that come from the venue and 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 if you had questions that you that you asked them you know mm-hmm. in whatever way shape or form that they prefer i prefer email questions mm-hmm. uh because i'm not I, I just can't i get inundated with you know facebook messages instagram messages twitter mm-hmm. like direct messages i mean i got snapchatted i had a snapchat <laughs> oh, because somebody said i was trying to contact you through snapchat and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm probably not the only Dan Votto on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Probably not. There's another Dan Votto <laughs> who I'm actually related to um, that lives in Northern California. And, and people make that mistake. And it's like, oh, I, I sent you a tweet. I'm like, send me an email because that's unmistakable. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, kahuna at arputiki, danvato at gmail.com. Those are me, right? Mm-hmm. If you send me an email, assuming the email gods don't get in the way it'll get to me <laughs> and i'll eventually answer it you know especially yeah. if if it's a legit question if you're just you know fishing for compliments or whatever or bugging me about when i'm going to book you i'm probably mm-hmm. not going to get back to you until i'm ready to talk to you, you know? yeah so no that's fair that's fair yeah. uh so behind your venue what was the initial vision and then how did you grow into the vision that you have now well, so we came upon this accidentally. Uh, we were in another location that was downtown mm-hmm. um, that was, is now a, a giant apartment building. Mm-hmm. And um, our, my primary business uh, was publishing comic books. Okay. And um, that was my comics publishing warehouse. And then recession hit um, and business tanked. Mm-hmm. And I was going to leave that because it was big. It was a big space. Mm-hmm. Much like the one I'm in right now. Yeah, I remember that space. Yeah. yeah. I remember it fondly myself. Um, and, uh, but it, it had its issues and, and whatnot. But but the landlord made us a really sweet sweet deal. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't move. Because, like, at this point, we're staring, you know, at a possible depression coming on. Mm-hmm. The, the economy is tanking. And, you know, our business took... The publishing business uh, took a unrecoverable hit, mm-hmm. uh, and I tried to like power my way through it, but I was going to have to leave because the rent was too much. And the guy mm-hmm. gave me it's like, "Where, where, what are you going to pay in the new place?" And I told him, he goes, "Okay, mm-hmm. I'll match that. You stay." Okay. And and you know, but the caveat from the day I moved in was that they would only give me a lease that was so long, because their plan was always to tear the building down and build something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had been exploring office building options and there was never going to be new that many new offices being built in downtown San Jose I didn't worry about it too much and then the Mm -hmm. day came and he says like yeah uh, nothing imminent is going to happen they treated me very fairly I know some people hear the story um, (laughs) and they go like oh what an asshole it's like no I knew it was coming Mm -hmm. I knew it was going to happen someday when it happened you know we were still paying way below market rent and who knew that we were going to have going what we had going and um i can't complain he treated me fairly you know he he he, they dropped our rent to something that i could pay uh and worked with us and to keep us as a tenant Mm -hmm. and when i started doing live music they could have very easily said no you can't do that but Mm -hmm. we're very open to whatever basically got their them their money mm-hmm. and and they never they never lied once that that like oh our master plan is to keep this rat infested warehouse um you know open like 
you know, here as a as as our primary business model when it's in a prime location in downtown and mm -hmm. and like I got it. I understood it. I'm a businessman. I, I knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. And they gave me they didn't like they came to me and told me before they had closed and they could very well easily have backfired on them that somehow the deal was fell through after I moved and then they would never have a tenant because mm -hmm. who's going to come in under those com conditions, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I, I was, I, I don't complain about it. I mean, I, I think that those guys were, um, you know, more than fair to us in terms of the way they treated us. But we, mm -hmm. but what happened is like, so I stayed in that warehouse. That was a very long winded sort of introduction no it's okay i asked <laughs> yeah so well but it provides the proper perspective in that now i'm in this warehouse and i've cut back a lot of our operation and i have way more space than i need mm -hmm. and four years earlier a uh, a drunk driver had plowed their way through the front of the building and destroyed it oh man yeah and um and so the, the there were still tire tracks on the entryway like in the building right mm -hmm. and on the carpet and stuff like that and uh, you know, I was like, well, we got to fix this place up, you yeah. know? And so then the art walk was just starting to kind of become a thing. And, and so I was like, well, we'll make the front of gallery, mm -hmm. a comic art gallery. Okay. Um, and, you know, with a comic shop, we'll be part of the art walk. And then the first time we had, you know, that going on. And I brought in my friends, uh, actually Dylan and, uh, and Dustin's band came, well, they were the regular first Friday band at the art boutique. And you can okay. think back, like everybody now has some sort of entertainment going on. Mm -hmm. during first Friday but back then and that was like 10 years ago nobody nobody really did like a couple people maybe, maybe had DJ or something like that but okay. we brought in you know a band and, and mm -hmm. like multiple bands sometimes we have comedians come in and I kind of feel like you know we just sort of had a I mean as a gallery we weren't really that much of a gallery but mm -hmm. you know as a as a fun place to hang out you know mm -hmm. we became kind of an attraction during that and that was that's the one thing I kind of miss about being downtown is not being able to be part of the art walk yeah um you know because it was it was a great source of new revenue for us or new customers for us people would come find us during the art walk because we were there and things were free and we'd have music going on mm -hmm. and then uh come back and see a show or buy comics or you know okay. get a t-shirt done or something like that so yeah yeah, I really... and, yeah, from that it was like, you know, okay. And then we had the bands going and then people were saying, well, how does my band play here? And then pretty soon I'm booking shows and pretty soon like, oh, we're like, we actually were a venue now. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like people are cut our, our, we're touring through there. I was like, wow, we cannot handle you. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I only learned, when I first learned about you, it was through a jazz jam. And mm -hmm. I would come through with uh, like the saxophonist named Madison Borer. Oh, yeah. And. Uh, Dylan would be also be playing and I would come through and this was like my first year at San Jose State yeah so that's how I learned about you guys but I was very like impressed when I walk in and see all the comics mm -hmm. um, sometimes when I walk through like that main front area now like I'm, I'm just like I don't know where to start yeah <laughs> well that's the that's the environment I, I I kind of fell upon and tried to create and mm -hmm. you know as we're kind of dealing with with certain issues you know as a venue and, and most venues are, are dealing with the same thing is like how do you get more people to come out to see live music mm -hmm. you know it's like if you want to run something that's not just dependent on selling alcohol or food or whatever it's like how do you get people how why are people not interested in people who are doing live music and i think you know over a period of time mm -hmm. there's just like a disruption in the flow of how people can consume things uh -huh. and then 
like a lot all live music got sort of put into bars mm-hmm. like all of it you know and it's like okay if you're under 21 you can't go yeah you know, much less if you're you know 15 or whatever you're if you're a young musician and you want to play in one of these places you can't do that either you right. can kind of but mm-hmm. it's it's difficult pain in the ass mm-hmm. so my thought was like well if we're gonna have a venue then the thing the the thing has to be like uh we're not a bar we're not a restaurant it's a comic book store that has a venue in it right right and mm-hmm. it's like so it's non-threatening so that you know I, I thought okay initially i thought it was going to be like a lot of kids coming to shows but they're mm-hmm. so out of the habit of going to shows that that didn't happen mm-hmm. what i discovered was that parents were bringing their kids to shows mm-hmm. and they, and that's the big thing that i see now people are very excited um you know when they find out they can bring their kids along mm-hmm. you know, to see like a friend's band play or to see something that they might want to really come to mm-hmm. um and um so you know and I, the fact that there's a comic book store p- as part of it it's mm-hmm. not that they're coming to read the comics it's that this screams this is different this is mm-hmm. a different spot you know mm-hmm. this is a place that's kind of devoted to sort of you know making both everyone feel at home right. and comfortable that's non-threatening um that uh is kind of a showroom type of a thing and um yeah so it's it's kind of what what i've tried to build up on it it's very difficult because now you know the venue business is a bar business Mm -hmm. for the most part yeah and and you know uh i feel like you guys have fairly like regulated really well like you know just like the standard like making sure people have a wristband if they're allowed to go to the bar if they don't have a wristband no one gets anything (laughs) or like no one gets alcohol (laughs) we don't have have a full bar we have beer and wine right and it's funny for for the first seven years that we did this mm-hmm. com- going back to the to the original spot mm-hmm. uh we didn't sell anything mm-hmm. we didn't even have food service oh. we were just dependent on people coming and paying a ticket mm-hmm. and now i mean it's not like that's not an, an important revenue steam stream but it's still not the primary revenue stream right like if i were to go and say like some people will come to me and say well you know x place pays me out of the bar it's like yeah they have a full bar and a lot of people that are just coming in there to drink mm-hmm you know so of course they're they can say we'll give you five percent of the bar and that'll be a significant amount of money mm-hmm. if i give you five percent of the bar here it'd probably be less than 50 bucks a night mm-hmm. you know so it's like it doesn't make any sense as far as like the 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 way we have the revenue streams are very tightly wound together so with ticket money and and the bar right uh together but i mean the, the bar is sort of in service to people you know so people were coming to shows it's like well it's a shame that i can't get anything Mm-hmm. Like, I got to go out. Like, especially when we were downtown at the other place. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if if I'm going to be here for three hours and I, I want to go mm-hmm. grab something to eat and I'm hungry, that means I've got to, I mean, because that was way far down. Right, right. Right. It's like, there was nothing around there. So, for, came for a little while during First Fridays, we have a hot dog cart park in front just so people oh. would be able to eat something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, okay. And, you know, we were adding, like, it was like, we figured out a way to do pizza slices, but it was, like, gross and and people oh. and seltzer sodas and <laughs> and things like that and it and then it was like oh you know it's like it's too bad that we we can't have you know beer and wine and it's always people always complaining about what you don't have mm-hmm. and so like now we have beer and wine and people's like oh it's too bad you don't have hard liquor i go that's that's a lie i don't need to go there yeah yeah i'm just not interested in that that's just way too much work mm-hmm. i mean it might be then we're going to become different because then then my job becomes 
sell you more alcohol mm-hmm. and I don't want that to be what I'm doing right you know I'm not interested in that as mm-hmm. a model for me I mean it's fine and it's makes sense but it's not what we what we it, it would imp, it would impact the vibe right you know because people don't I mean you've been to a number of things here mm-hmm. you how often have you ever seen someone so drunk that someone had to ask him to leave no I haven't you seen know? that here at yeah. all and it's because I mean a it's really hard to get drunk on beer uh, You'll feel f- full first. Yeah, exactly. You You're going to get feel sick before effects. you get belligerent. <laughs> and, um, and it's people just don't come here to do that. You no. Know? It's like a couple of beers and, and and a hot dog or whatever might be we might be serving that night. And they're, and they're good. Mm-hmm. You know? So um, we're trying to make it about the, what's on, on stage is our product. Right. You know, what's up there, that's the product. That's why people are coming. Yeah. You know, and that's the primary thing. Trying to attract people to come here that want to play and and will help bring a crowd in you know as well as trying to bring in people now who have their own like who are playing at sort of a higher level that um you know we have on the jazz side you know our capacity is kind of small but on mm-hmm. the jazz side we're actually a pretty good size for a jazz band we've got a yeah 150 seats easily you know all seated yeah um and so we can attract people like you know Anybody and Abishai Cohen. And, I, you know, just, the Bad Plus was here too. A year ago, Chris Potter is coming in March. Okay. Um, so uh, it's uh, even off the re- off the beaten path. There's this skateboard guy Tommy Guerrero, mm-hmm. who's kind of legendary in the skateboard world. And he's okay. coming here to do kind of this jazz funk. Uh, oh, I didn't setting. realize he had a had a thing. <laughs> he does. I didn't know that either. And it was like, is that the Tommy Guerrero? You know, and I had to, I texted Dustin. That's like, I go, do you know Tommy Guerrero as a musician? Is like, <laughs> he's like, there's a skateboard guy. I go, yeah. You know, and then we went back and forth and then finally we got some confirmation that this was indeed, they were indeed the same guy, you know, so. Holy moly. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> so when you're booking bands like such as The Body and, uh, the bad plus like are they asking you directly or is it more of like a reach for no. you they well with the bad plus is i reached out mm-hmm. to their to their booking people and then you know they when they had an opportunity to route them through here mm-hmm. they brought them here we we you know went in and they made an offer you know mm-hmm. and they accepted it and came okay um and and with the, now uh what happens is i established a pretty decent relationship um, with that one company in particular, and so they mm-hmm. they manage a lot of people like Nebody and mm-hmm. and and Chris Potter and and uh, I'm spacing on Abishai Cohen. And so now mm-hmm. it's like when they have someone that's routing through, mm-hmm. I'll get an email. You know, it's just like, hey, we've got this person coming. Do you have X date open to a company to you know whatever? And it's mm-hmm. now it's gotten. To a point where it's like I say, like, okay, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the because th- like, we don't invoke you know what's called a radius clause, but mm-hmm. you know I say like if if you're gonna book them in three venues in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. you know I'm not gonna be the fourth. Mm-hmm. If they're gonna go Santa Cruz and San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, you know I can't. That dilutes the draw too much. So right. now I don't get asked when. You know, we get asked when we can be sort of like the primary part of the. Oh, good. The and that yeah. and that's kind of cool because you know with people that have played here that that they've been that have been managed and booked by this company mm-hmm. have all reported back that we do you know a good job and okay our sound guys as you know are are spot on yeah 
yeah. and uh, and we 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 put on um, you know we're we're really good. I, we have the uh, kind of uh, the weak spot is our piano is a small piano, and, mm-hmm. but no one who's played that piano who's like a high level professional has ever said anything bad about playing it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's a small room. I mean, what what do we need a nine foot Steinway in here for? You know, <laughs> yeah. So where would we even put it? You know. <laughs> So, um, I know Nicole doesn't mind playing on it. <laughs> so, and we just had uh, Kate Dunton uh, play. Kate uh, is probably best known. She was here last night. Um, mm-hmm. She's an amazing keyboard player, piano player, and she was an original keyboard player. And I think one of the founding members of uh, Snarky Puppy. Okay. And she's got her own thing called Trio Kate. And she was just here last night. And it's just like her keyboard went dead. Oh, no. And we had the piano rolled out and she was going to do a few things and she played the entire set on her on the piano and you could look at her and the way she plays is like that woman is a classically trained pianist mm-hmm. doing jazz and experimental jazz at that and mm-hmm. she's banging away on that sucker and I just was just blown away just it was an incredible show but I mean there was only 25 people here last night so, <sighs> <That's> so <bad. laughs> one of the things that's difficult in running the venue like the way I do yeah um have you ever had any uh kind of just like collaborations with any of like the festivals around here like san jose jazz or san jose jazz has uh booked a few winterfest shows here but to other than that no we're doing three shows with them uh in february i don't know that we'll do any more in the future okay um and then you want to talk about your publishing company for comics sure just like elaborate on that um what's your uh your main thing with the comics and why you're so connected or how you're so connected excuse to me. comics? Yeah, <laughs> excuse me. So, um, <laughs> so the um, the thing about me is I'm I'm a I'm not a native English speaker. Okay. Uh, my parents are both immigrants. Fooled um, me. Huh? <laughs> I said fooled me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm an old man, right? <laughs> uh, well, and it's it's funny. Um, so just to go on, my yeah. parents are both immigrants. Okay. Uh, my dad, they both came here after World War II. My dad uh, went to the East Coast. My mom immigrated directly to the West Coast uh, for looking for opportunities. Um, and my dad ended up here. He was in the Air Force, and he wound up here when he was discharged. Um, and, uh, you know, he they learned English, right? Mm-hmm. But in the home, they spoke Italian. Okay. Much like any immigrant family uh, that's, you know, that's still that kind of that close to where they came from because my dad had relatives who only spoke Italian and he was taking care of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mom was relatively new to the country, I think, when they met. I don't remember what what year it was that she emigrated in. It was in the 50s. Um, But so they spoke Italian. As I was growing up, I spoke Italian. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then they started trying to teach me English Mm -hmm. so that I could go to school, Mm -hmm. right? And so just imagine that, two people who barely have a command of the language trying to teach their kids, you know, whatever. I went in, I had an accent. A lot of barriers. (laughs) I had an accent or whatever, and it's like, the only thing, my dad was a TV man, and so I watched TV all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I got to uh, school, and, uh, you know, you kind of blaze through kindergarten and whatever, but in first grade, a teacher told my parents, like, uh, this is what my mom told me, she's like, they wanted to hold me back. Because I was just not reading, like I was learning, but I was at a disadvantage because, you know, 
the way I don't know if you speak other languages, but is English your first language? Yeah, English is my first language. Okay, so the way it works, and maybe if you speak other languages, mm -hmm. the way it works for someone when you're first trying to be conversational in a language or trying to work with a language is you hear it like for me I would hear it in, in English mm -hmm. translate it into Italian in my head come right. up with the Italian response and then speak it in English right which is why you know a lot of times as you can tell I have a very uh, um, you know when I speak about immigrants and people like that it's like you know, which is very topical today mm -hmm. it's it's important to me because I grew up I get it you know it's mm -hmm. like people think that you know people foreigners are stupid or whatever and it's no. like you know what they're just trying to now it's not as bad but back yeah. then it's like the like, kid doesn't understand i had a uh the principal at my school thought mm -hmm. i was uh mexican so he'd speak spanish to me no right and i'm like right and i'm 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 six seven you know i'm mm -hmm. like trying to look at this like what is he saying it's and, romantic, but that's not quite it. Yeah. And, and then, like, my first grade teacher I apparently went to him one day is like, you dumbass. You're making it worse. He's Italian. He's not Mexican, you know, and stop speaking Spanish to him. Because that's no. why he's looking at you like he doesn't understand because he, he only, he's trying to, I'm trying to parse out Spanish into Italian mm -hmm. back into English. And it's like, so at any rate, my teacher said, look, I mean, he's, he's conversationally speaking well. He's, uh, not comprehending reading just give him anything mm -hmm. that he'll they he'll read you know mm -hmm. he seems to like the dr seuss books get him more of that so my mom went and got me a bunch of dr seuss books and and i started in and comic books because mm -hmm. they had pictures in them mm -hmm. so uh comics taught me to read and comics actually made me a better reader than my age level within a couple years yeah so by the time I was in sixth grade, I was tutoring uh, kids on reading. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but what I now twist, right? <laughs> I consider myself though illiterate in two languages. Okay. Uh, although I, I don't speak Italian much anymore, it's one of the sad things about it is once you run out of people to talk about, talk to in this in the language, and you know, I, I'm I am kind of envious of folks who are are uh, mm -hmm. are fluent. Yeah. In two languages and whatever, it's like. I find that a lot with a lot of my friends who speak Spanish that the Spanish kind of waters down over the years because it's either that they move away from their parents, yeah, so they don't have a necessary like they they don't they're not in that environment anymore where they're constantly using it, yeah. And so when they're away from that and they have their own kids and they're primarily speaking English, that the language is kind of like watered down. Yeah, it's um, pretty much that's very true. Mm -hmm. um, and then you know you just get out of the habit of doing certain things. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you know, comics were that thing that kind of, like, got me into that, and I really liked the form. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then later in high school, I had this massive, big collection of comic books. And, uh, there was a comic book store in downtown. There were actually two. There, I think there were actually three in downtown San Jose, which is doesn't sound like a big deal, mm -hmm. you know, except for the fact that there were, like, a couple of... There were comic stores all over the Bay Area, when most of the country didn't even have comic stores, right? Oh, Because yeah. it's like distribution was limited and whatever, mm -hmm. and selling comics is a living. You go in and, you know, it's like, and I'd, so I'd amassed this kind of, you know, largest collection of comics. And and then when I got to high school, I realized some of this is worth money. Yeah. It's like, holy crap. So then I became a comic book dealer. And I, <laughs> I came a, opened a comic book store, and then later on I'd be, I decided to publish comics uh, just to see if I could do it. And, yeah. And then I just kept doing it. No, that's so. I, I, 
I can't relate on the language barrier part, but my my go-to was I didn't like reading all the chapter books, mm-hmm. but I would read all of the manga. <laughs> well, now and you... I would like flesh out like ten manga a week just yeah. because it's like it's easy to read through, and also I'm more engaged with the story. Comics in the classroom and library were a, a kind of a you know unique sort of afterthought a long time ago, and now it's like if you, if you're teaching you know literature, you're probably going to have at least one or two comics. Yeah, thrown in there and, and libraries um, it, it's funny because libraries the way libraries get their money is on if people come in and check out books Right. so the kinds of books they buy for their stacks mm-hmm. are the kinds of books that people check out mm-hmm. it's kind of an interesting thing because they're responding to sales but they're not necessarily making any money mm-hmm. and, the, and the reason that they have to have people checking these things out and or is that oh that means people are coming into the library that means we can show statistics that people are using our facility mm-hmm. and we're staying relevant to what people want right and so comics or graphic novels uh in a library became a huge marketplace because they're among among the most checked out category mm-hmm. uh in in libraries like mm-hmm. across the board they come in and like oh and and manga was one of the things that people the the librarians started to realize like we're we're checking out way more manga mm-hmm. than we are this marvel dc stuff mm-hmm. because there's a bigger audience for manga than there is this other stuff right and and so they respond to the audience and it's and it's almost a truer uh look at at what the marketplace wants because since it's very sort of egalitarian because you go in there and it's all essentially free i mean it's mm-hmm. being paid for by you know, your tax dollars right but if you go in there as a consumer and you have shelves full of books and you can choose any one of them mm-hmm. and people are checking from this one category over and over and over again mm-hmm. then it's like you it's like a better sales chart than what people spend their money on right you know because mm-hmm. it's like as long as you're presented you're because you're presented with more of a choice in a library than you might in a comic book store mm-hmm. the comic book store is going to have a built-in sort of uh uh, bias against something that maybe only sells a couple copies, but right. that thing might have an audience that's bigger than than the stuff that they're selling. But you'll never know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of our our challenges as a small publisher was trying to get retailers to just carry stuff. Yeah. You know, how do you feel the culture has um, evolved from back when you started reading comics versus like now? I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I would never have predicted that you'd see multi-million dollar movies based on <laughs> you know I mean it's like now that I mean back then it was like I mean, you're, being called a nerd in the in the 70s was like mm-hmm. that's the last word you heard before your head went in the toilet right Aww, yeah so yeah. <laughs> and now it's like well, you got hot chicks pretending they're nerds on on the internet in you know cam girls or whatever i, I mean i don't know this is stupid, but <laughs> you know what i mean it's like oh a girl with glasses she's a nerd she's like she probably never read a comic book in her life but um but no i i don't know why i fixated on that but it's a, and it's a, it's an accepted part of mainstream culture mm-hmm. you know nobody people look down on it because it's popcorn and it's you know it's flashy and garish or whatever and it's not high culture it's like fuck high culture whatever (laughs) i mean there's i mean there's there's no that there it's not mutually exclusive you know one doesn't really push the other one away Mm -hmm. um i feel like there's a little bit better i mean there's some areas that still need improvement but i think with the whole culture is like there's a lot more inclusivity and genuine 
um, appreciation for comics or manga or like nerd culture versus when like you are trying to be like high class and kind of just pretend that you want to be more sophisticated like there's a lot more like well yeah pretensions of the audience not because there's pretensions within the industry as well Mm -hmm. it's like oh this is this is high art or i like to refer to it as capital a art right Mm -hmm. so um and it's like eh, you know art is whatever you can get away with (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, I've never heard that, but that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> listen, I, I have said this in the past. I'll say it again. Art is whatever you can get away with. And, and my example is, is like if you shit in a baggie and then <laughs> and on. you nail that sucker to a wall in a gallery mm-hmm. and then people come in and go, isn't that a nice piece of shit? <laughs> is that art? Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> But to the guy who shit it and the guy who appreciates it, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't have to like it. it. You don't have to like it for it to be art. I mean, I think art, sort of the concept of art is that a lot of people are going to look at it and not like it. And a good portion of the audience might actually be offended by it. Mm-hmm. And that's cool, too. You know, it's just like, all right. You There's know? a reaction. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's supposed to have a reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, all of it is supposed to have a reaction. You're either, you know, a reaction... Uh, based on you know it could be visceral i mean if i walked into a gallery and saw a piece of shit nailed to the wall i'd walk out <laughs> you know yeah a literal piece of shit now I'm, I'm not talking about i'm not making judgments about people's art you know but I, all I the mean, stuff on youtube there's a lot of uh, subjectivity hey, about it but... that's what the internet's for right if you want to look up high art excrement and then whatever that takes you to I mean, I wouldn't do it, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that people shouldn't appreciate it. It's like, I'm into shit. I don't know. <laughs> what do you want? You know? It's like, I, I, I don't know. So, and you get the, I've had to deal with those kind of pretentious type of things. It's like, you go mm-hmm. to, like, uh, we used to go to uh, the biggest book trade show, Book Expo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it moves around the country. Um, and, you know, it's where all the publishers would go and we were going a long time when it was just it was called uh the american booksellers association mm-hmm. trade show or whatever uh and now it's called book expo america and run by an exposition company but you know we first started going aba and i'm going around you know setting up my graphic novels and comics and stuff like that and people go like are you serious with this mm-hmm. and it was very much you know like I insisted on paying more for a booth and being up with the regular publishers mm-hmm. rather than down with the small press. Not that mm-hmm. there's anything wrong with small press. Right. But I felt like we had to make that kind of a presence as a publisher. It's just like, well, I'm paying the same amount for my booth as you are mm-hmm. to be here. And I take my product that seriously. And if you're a bookstore owner, don't shake your head because I'm going to give you some free stuff mm-hmm. and take it back. And, and that was like, we got our stuff uh into record stores and Mm -hmm. small bookstores and head shops and into hot topic which was the our crown jewel because they gave us this mass market distribution okay uh that like all we had you know having comics in mall stores Mm -hmm. you know not a bookstore but a place where guy people were going kids were going and buying music it's like you think about a hot topic now and you go like (laughs) oh it's harry potter shit and stuff like that but (laughs) years and years ago there were there were malls where you in certain cities mm-hmm. where you couldn't go into a hot topic if you were under 18 
yeah. or under 16 yeah. without a parent you know yeah. and it's like oh mom take me to hot topic and, you mm -hmm. know I'm, I'm gonna buy i'm gonna buy like this navel piercing and this comic book mm -hmm. and maybe that conversation never happened but I, i'm sure something <laughs> like it did yeah. you know and it's like it was cool and it was like we were selling more comics through hot topic than we were through the entire comic book market awesome can you repeat what that comic book like name or company that you're just talking about so slg the slg and art boutique is, uh, okay. is our is our okay so that's just like the whole brand itself yeah okay just making sure yeah <laughs> so slg publishing was the comic book and is still we still publish and our most com popular comic book is called johnny the homicidal maniac yeah right and if, and if you haven't heard of that chances are if you're of a certain age if you've seen a tv show called invader zim yeah that's the guy yeah. Yeah. And so I published him. That was he, that was his first work. Published work was Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Yeah. And he went from that to doing Invader Zim. Yeah. I remember there was a whole like reprise during my middle school days mm -hmm. um, where as soon as Invader Zim came out, then there was a lot of like a lot of um, my peers who came out. I was like, well, if you like Invader Zim, you have to read Johnny. I'm like, oh, OK. I'll. I'll try to sit there down. Was a lot of that. There was a lot. It was really funny. <laughs> a lot of gatekeeping. Be yeah. <laughs> because it's funny because we were already selling a lot of, like Invader Zim, mm -hmm. it's not like it didn't provide a boost, but it, we didn't, it was like just a bigger boost. Mm -hmm. It was, Johnny had its appeal mm -hmm. and Jonan's work had its, its appeal on its own. You know, it mm -hmm. wasn't like, oh, like Invader Zim made him, you mm -hmm. know, it was like he made Invader Zim and he... It was the one, like it was his work, and the, and the work was pretty much about him. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, people were, were way into that stuff. And it's like, I, I never really whole got that whole. If you like Invader Zim, you're gonna like, you're gonna, you should read Johnny, or you should read any of this that uh, of his comic work because yeah. it wasn't necessarily intended for the same audience. Mm -hmm. You know, um, maybe you know, it's being revived. I, I have no idea, Invader Zim. Mm -hmm. I have no idea if they're you know gonna maybe age it up a little bit to reflect the audience that did watch the show yeah because it was on nickelodeon yeah. mm -hmm. you know and the the five to eight year old audience wasn't watching it you know mm -hmm. and it would have been better suited for being on mtv and now there are now there are more way more choices mm -hmm. uh for what you could you know what you can uh, in terms of where you would put a show like that or maybe you'd even just put it on the internet and let it be crazy like yeah. that yeah so but yeah, that was. I mean, we had a really, really good run with that, and it's still the best-selling comic I have. We, you know, doesn't sell like it used to, mm -hmm. but I mean, it's still like a good for a couple thousand copy of the copies of the graphic novel being sold every year, and it's it's a nice little, it's a nice little thing that we hang on to, and yeah, you know, no, that's dope. That's really, really awesome. Yeah, I know. Again, a lot of friends love that comic, and a lot of friends also loved Invader Zim. I was, for some reason, like I was trying to stay engaged with the show at the time, yeah. and then I was having a hard time. Like, I don't understand the appeal, but I think there was so much pressure from my peers for me to try to get it that I well, kids are mean. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of phased out, but I was also very like hyper anime at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I'll just watch Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z, guys. I'll keep to my own zone. Yeah, I never, yeah. We'd see that kind of behavior. We'd go to Comic Con and, and stuff like that, and I'd see these people waiting in line for Jonan's autograph, and these other people like. What's the, why are you waiting in line for this guy? And then these guys would go wait in line for somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's just what people like. Why are you being so mean to each other? That's probably a better <laughs> question. Just let this person buy the comic book that they want. Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, Yeah, luckily, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of um, 
just like I follow Twitter really closely and like there's a lot of trends like trying to diffuse that like if someone's being a jerk about someone liking something whether if they are like the tippity top fans of it versus like oh I'm just getting into this I want to see what this is about like there's now like this whole movement of people saying like just leave them alone let them enjoy it yeah. you know um, but no that's cool that's an adventure <laughs> it's quite that's yeah. super crazy so we'll go ahead and uh, wrap this up if you don't mind oh, um, so where can people primarily find you for shows or just to say hey what's up <laughs> I'm here six days a week <laughs> and what's at the Arputiki Arputiki 44 Race Street San Jose uh, you find me online nowhere. I mean, it's funny because my, my Facebook profile will always show that I'm online, but that's because I just, I have it on my work computer here and I just mm-hmm. go home. I don't like sign out or anything. So <laughs> it's not like I'm always hovering around online, but, um, at adult yeah, swim hours I mean, featuring. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like, oh, it's four o'clock in the morning. What's he doing on Facebook? <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. So I'm watching porn like I should. Website? Website. com for Art Boutique if you're looking for stuff relative to the comic side. Uh, SLGpublishing.com. Okay. Um, no, I'm sorry, SLGpubs.com. Uh, and then um, we, uh, we're also a digital t shirt printer. So you can find us at tgeniuses.com. Yeah, if you guys, I've ordered shirts with him uh, before. Just give him like a couple weeks heads up and he'll have it ready for you. <laughs> Beautiful full color shirts with no minimum order. No JPEGs. No JPEGs. <laughs> Very nice. Wait, 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 let me ask you something now. Yeah. Do you say GIF or do you say GIF? I say GIF. That's the proper way to yeah. say it. Yeah, I say GIF. And if you say GIF, fine you can say it that way <laughs> you can even say it to me and i won't correct you but i will think you're saying that wrong and i don't care that the guy who invented the file format <laughs> says gif because the g stands for graphic graphic mm-hmm. interchange format so gif gif graphic yeah. gif <laughs> don't come in and it, so the big thing is however you say it don't bring it to me to print because it's not a printable file <laughs> yeah, I, I think when see, people say GIF, I think of the peanut butter. Yeah, exactly. So it's a context thing for me. So sure. I say GIF because like that's how I saw it first. And I'm like, it sounds like GIFs. So why not? <laughs> I, yeah, whatever. Don't don't bring it here. <laughs> leave it on the internet where it belongs. I don't care how cool it looks. <laughs> no GIF files, no, no GIF JPEGs. Files, no JPEGs. <laughs> Someday I'm going to do a, a file format. Uh, workshop in here. Do it, yeah, I would come. I, I think a lot of people would, would, would come. I think, and I just say to the first person says, "Jip, get out." <laughs> just have that in like the orientation failed. form. Do you say? <laughs> say no. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for joining uh, me. Joining me today, my name is Veronica Tyler Christie, sometimes V. This is Don Cast and Drive, and again, my special guest was Don Dan Votto of the Art Boutique. Don's a different guy. I know, not Don, Dan, <laughs> Dan. <laughs> and we will see you guys again.